You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. If you would, uh, take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. And once you're there, just hold your place. Uh, We'll come back to that passage in just a short while. Last weekend, we finished up our uh, series, God's at War, uh, The Battle for Our Hearts. So today, we're going to uh, step into a a new five-week series, a series that's a study that will take us deeper into some of the parables uh, that Jesus taught. So we're going to be dealing with parables over the next five weeks. Um, One of the most common ways to start a, a, a series like this, a series into parables, would be to take some time to actually define what a parable is. And I believe that that's very important. It's foundational because it helps us uh, understand how Jesus taught and, and how he made disciples. And so um, I'm going to take a little bit of time to do that. Um, I'll begin by saying that there are between some 30 and 40 parables found in the Gospels. Interestingly enough, all of those parables are found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You won't find any parables uh, in the Gospel of John. Um, All of the parables uh, are not clearly identified, and that's why you would get, well, there's between 30 and 40. There's not complete agreement, even a little probably discrepancy among biblical scholars of how many parables there actually are because they're not all clearly identified. But uh, I think that they would all agree that there are at least 30 identified parables. Um, A parable can be defined in um, some pretty simple terms. One of the ways would be to say that a parable is an uh, earthly story uh, with a spiritual meaning. Again, let me say that, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. Uh, A parable is a comparison of two objects or two subjects Uh, for the sake of teaching, and typically it begins with something known, and it moves into the unknown. Uh, A parable is a story that, uh, as it's told, it actually entices the listener. It draws them in, and because it begins with something known, it allows them to actually be able to place themselves in the story Uh, And in the end, hopefully what would happen is that there would be personal reflection, personal application. Um, I think that we could safely say that a parable is more than just a story. Uh, Parables are uh, riddles to be unlocked. They're word pictures uh, that help us gain greater understanding into the kingdom of heaven. Um, I, I... I believe that it's very important that we understand what a parable is. But perhaps an even more important question to ask is not just what is a parable, but why did Jesus teach in parables? Understanding why Jesus taught in parables gives us better insight in what he was up to as he told these stories. And again, it gives us better understanding. It gives us a greater opportunity for growth through the parables. So, why did Jesus speak in parables? Let's, let's take some time and let's answer that question. Um, if we were to do, and we're going to do this, a, a real quick uh, survey of the earliest chapters of Matthew. Matthew gives us some insight into why Jesus taught in parables. So, I'm going to walk you through very quickly the uh, first 12 chapters. 
Um, when we look at Matthew uh, chapter one, chapters 1 and 2, what we find is the story of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus, taking us all the way up to when he was 12 years old, he remained behind in the temple. And then when we get to chapters 3 and 4, uh, we find Jesus now at about 30 years old, and he's entering into his public ministry. So in those chapters, we find uh, the baptism of Jesus. We, we find um, uh, just him, him launching out. Uh, uh, we find where he was tempted in the desert by, by the devil. And then when we get to chapters 5, 6, and 7, what we find is some foundational teaching. We see the teaching ministry of Jesus. It's where we find things like the Sermon on the Mount. And then when we get to chapters 8 through 12, we see example of, after example of Jesus' healing ministry where he's going about and he's healing, but we also see that the Pharisees appear into the story. And we know that the Pharisees don't like Jesus. They're threatened by Jesus. They, re, they reject Jesus. Well, something happens in um, chapter 12 uh, where the Pharisees cross a line. Jesus has cast a demon out of a, a, a young boy and the Pharisees actually accuse him of casting out that demon through the power of the devil himself. They cross a line because they've actually ascribed to the devil the work of the Holy Spirit. And so with that, it shows that they've rejected Jesus' teaching. They're just really not interested. They're threatened by him. They're out to get him. And so it's in a sense there that Jesus, he, he makes a change. Um, rather than focusing in the uh, teaching in the synagogues uh, and, and uh, where the Pharisees are there, he, he crosses over and he moves into the open air. Um, he moves into the, to the situation where he's encountering uh, everyday people like you and I. Uh, the Pharisees are still there. They're, they're following him because they're threatened by him. But, but he, he's making a difference. He, he's going to those that he thinks uh, will, will listen to him. Jesus used parables as an instrument of revelation but only to those who were willing to listen and to receive what he was saying. This did not include the Pharisees. Again, they had rejected him. They were threatened by him. They were out to get him. So they were not willing. It's, it's as if, well, their hearts had become hardened. It's not as if, but their hearts became hardened and through that rejection. And so their, their hearts had become so hardened that they were no longer interested in knowing truth uh, that Jesus taught. They, they, uh, they weren't motivated to, to, uh, to, to learn the deeper meaning uh, of, of what Jesus was talking about. And that's why Jesus said, let, uh, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, um, the person who is open, open-hearted, who is willing to listen, who is willing to receive, that's the person who will seek out to find the deeper meaning of the stories that Jesus was telling. And we know that the Pharisees were, were just, they weren't interested. So with that, we've laid a foundation. We've said, this is what a parable is. And uh, we've said this is why Jesus taught in parables. So with that, uh, let's look at the first two parables. We're going to look at two parables that are back to back. They're in uh, chapter 13. I want to read to you verses 44 through 46. Just follow along. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field 
When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So, two parables back to back. In the first parable, we have a man, we have a field, and we have a treasure. In the second parable, we have a merchant, and we have this valuable pearl. Most of us, we would refer to that as the pearl of great price. Uh, both of these men, the, the man and the merchant, when they found the treasure, they were willing to sell everything they had so that they could possess this treasure. Now, the most common interpretation of these two parables is that we are the man, or we are the merchant in the second story, and we are the ones who discover the treasure, and that treasure is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in other words, we are the ones who do uh, the seeking, the discovering, and, and, the, and the purchasing. Um, in one way, and I hope this doesn't sound bad, in, in typically in the story, we're, uh, we're the stars of the story. We're, we're, we're the heroes. We're the ones who, who get all the credit. Um, when I say this, please know I'm not disputing that interpretation. I, I'm not saying uh, that's a wrong interpretation, but um, I, I think that we have to ask a question. And the question is, is that the point that Jesus was making? Is that what Jesus was teaching? Again, this is the most common interpretation. It's an interpretation that I, that I think we all grew up with. Uh, and, and so again, I'm not, I'm not disputing it, but um, I think anytime we look at scripture, it's okay to ask questions. We, we want to grow. We, we want to we be expanded. And so is there a different way that we might look at this uh, parable, these parables this morning, I think it's worth considering. So I want to walk us down this path a little bit. I want to unpack it a little bit. Um, in searching for the deepest meaning of these parables, there's some questions that we should ask ourselves. And here they are. Are we represented by the man or are we represented by the treasure? Are we represented by the merchant or are we represented by the pearl? Regardless of how we interpret, how we answer them, in the end, the bottom line's still the same. There's a discovery. There's, there's the gaining of the kingdom of heaven. But I, I want to just take us just a, a, a little deeper. I want us to consider this. Earlier in Matthew, uh, verses 13 through 35, and let me read those to you. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Um, if parables, according to Jesus, are about things that have been hidden since the creation of the world, then it would be good for us to go back to creation to find out what these hidden things might be. So uh, let's think about this. Back in the creation story, we know that for five days, God created. 
And at the end of each of his creation days, he said, it was good. And then on the sixth day, he created man. He created humankind. And at the end of that creation day, he said, this creation is very good. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated good can also be translated not only good, but precious, valuable, excellent, pleasing. So let's think about that. When God at the end of the sixth day, when he created humankind, he said, this creation is very good. This creation is very excellent. This creation is very precious. This creation is very valuable. This creation is very pleasing. When God said very good, he was underlining the value that he had placed on this creation of humankind. He was placing value. Now, by default, attribute it to the culture, attribute it to sin nature, whatever you will. But by default, uh, we've been taught to believe that our value is measured by what we do, what we obtain, what we achieve. But consider this. Genesis gives us a completely different picture. Humankind was created on the sixth day and before man had a chance to do anything, God said, this creation is very good. He placed value on mankind, humankind, before mankind had ever been able to do, to achieve, and to obtain. And then think about this. God declared humankind to be precious and valuable. And then before they had a chance to do, obtain, achieve, he gave a day of rest in order to start life. Again, before there had been a chance to do, to achieve, to obtain. Our being called precious and valuable by God before we had a chance to do anything and been, then being given this day of rest uh, uh, to start off our experience affirms that our value must be intrinsic to who we are. And God has given us that value. It affirms the fact that our value is not about what we do. I want to illustrate this just a little bit. I don't usually carry money, but I did today. I have two bills, just a nicer bill. This was um, made in 2013. And then I have this bill in um, crumpled up uh, 2009. That's not all that old, but it's older than this bill. Um, it would be easy to say, I mean, we know, so this isn't true, but if, if we're, if we're, if we're, uh, imposing what we've been taught by default that we get our value by what we do, what we attain, what we achieve. Um, these two bills are actually worth the same thing, aren't they? Uh, even though this, this one's in, in not the best shape, it's, it's, it's used, it's, it's crumpled up. It's, it, it's not crisp. This is more crisp. Uh, it, it doesn't affect the value on these two bills. Uh, both of these are worth 100 pennies. They're worth 10 dimes. 
They're worth 20 nickels. They're, they're a dollar. Why do we know that? Why do we know they're worth? It's not, not a trick question. Well, it says it. Uh, what about the picture? There's an image. There's an image on both of these bills. And the image is George Washington. And so we associate George Washington with the dollar bill. So think about this. The value of these bills is determined by the image that's been stamped on the bills. Not by anything else. Not by their condition. Not where they've been. Not what they've bought. But simply because there's a picture on, of George Washington on each of these bills. We know that that image says that these are worth, again, four quarters, ten dimes, twenty nickels, a hundred pennies. They're worth a dollar. So, how do we translate that over into a spiritual sense? Scripture is telling us that our value is determined. What did it say? Uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1. In fact, let me read to you in Genesis chapter 1. Um, hold on. It shouldn't be this hard to find since it's like first page. Uh, I'm going to read to you verses... Um, you don't want me to read from the preface. Uh, 26, 27, and I'm going to drop down to 31. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So he created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them... Down in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So the, the passage in Genesis tells us that when God created us, he stamped his image on us. He stamped his image within us. He gave us value based on his image. Again, it has nothing to do with what we've done, what we will do, what we will achieve, what we will, will obtain. Our value is simply because we were made in the likeness of God. His value has been placed in us. I want you to hold on to that for just a minute. Um, let's take it just a little bit further. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35, I read a minute ago. So Jesus said, I will open my mouth in parables and utter hidden things hidden since the foundation of the world. Shortly after that, very shortly after that, that's when he tells these two parables. The parable of the, of the, uh, the merchant, the parable of the man, the treasure, the pearl. Um, he, he immediately tells, tells us uh, the, these, these two parables. Um, last week, when we read, uh, as we were finishing up the series uh, on the gods at war, we read about the deception that uh, Adam and Eve fell into in the garden. They, they encountered the serpent and the, the serpent um, lured them into believing that God was holding out on them. Uh, that that um, there, was, there was more. That God wasn't looking out for their best. Everything was perfect up until that encounter. Everything was perfect. And then they encountered him. And then because of that deception, they began to develop false beliefs about God. They had a wrong perception about God. 
And then the scripture says that God came looking for them in the garden. And what did they do? They hid. Once they had false perceptions, false beliefs about God, they, they hid. Is this all starting to come together just a little bit? Um, despite the value that God has placed on you and I, because so often we develop false perceptions about God, we fall for the deception of the enemy that says God's holding out on you. God's got more, but he, he's not going to let you have it. He's not looking out for your best interest. And so we, 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 we develop these false beliefs, these false images. And what do we do? We hide. Somehow we hide in guilt and shame. We hide from God. Let me see if I can tie this all together. Um, in Jesus' other parables, where someone or something is hidden or covered or lost, it's not God that's hidden or covered or lost. It always represents us. And God is the one who is looking, who's doing the searching. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we see Jesus as the seeker. He said this of himself, The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. In other words, Christ sees our value and seeks us out despite our messiness, our brokenness, and our sin. And like the man in the parable, like the merchant who sells everything, what did Jesus do? Jesus gave up everything for us. Everything. He gave up his heavenly rights in heaven and he came to earth. He came as a child. He began to make his way to the cross so that he could give everything so that we would not have to be hidden and lost in sin and brokenness. He, he found us. He found us despite our false beliefs, despite our skepticism, and he purchased us with his blood. And, and this is the point I'm, I'm making. Perhaps, perhaps in these two parables, God is the man. And God is the merchant. And we're the ones who are hidden in our brokenness, in our sin. But because of the value that God has placed on us before we ever had an opportunity to do, achieve, obtain, that he has found us and he's paid the ultimate price through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have fullness of life, so that we could experience everything about the kingdom of heaven now, but even more in the yet to come. Because these parables are about the kingdom of heaven. Whether um, we are the man or the merchant, or whether Jesus is the one who's looking and seeking and finding, the bottom line of the stories are the same. Jesus paid the greatest price so that you and I could have the kingdom of heaven. And we are his treasure. 
And God has placed great value on us. Despite what anyone else might ever tell you, speak to you, speak about you, your value, your worth comes because we were created in the image, in the likeness of God. We've gained the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ. Let me end this with three truths. Your value, our value is not determined by what we do, what we achieve, or what we obtain, our value is determined by the image we bear. We were created in God's image. Don't allow anything or anyone else to determine your value. You are God's treasure. You were so valuable to God that he paid the ultimate price. He gave up everything and he died for us. He paid the price of his blood. And something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And finally, others might see you as damaged goods or junk, but God sees you as a valued treasure. You are his valued treasure. He, he died while we were still lost and hidden in our sin. And so what this means is that we must be a people who live our life in such a way that it reflects the value that God has placed on us. It's so easy to let circumstances or situations or failures, sin, place a false value on us. But this is the gospel story. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God initiated our salvation. God sought us out. He seeks us out. We were buried. We were buried in our sin and our shame. And through the work of the cross, it's all been uncovered and we have freedom now. So receive that today. Receive your value that's already been placed on you. Recognize how much God loves you, how much he cares. And maybe today you're here, and this is the first time you've really heard this story. The story of salvation, or the first time that you've ever had a revelation knowledge of you, that Jesus loves you so much that he gave everything for you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask... Is there anyone here today and you, you, you feel lost in your sin and your shame and you recognize it's because you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You've never confessed your sin to him. You've never confessed your belief that he died for you. If that's true, if that's you, that can change today. You just have to say, Jesus, I I'm a sinner and I believe you died for me. Forgive me of my sin. I accept you as my Savior. Is there anybody here today? And you would just lift up your hand and let your eyes catch my eyes and say, I don't know Jesus as Savior, but today I want to change that. Is there anybody at all? Anybody at all? Father, again, we thank you our salvation in this place and we thank you for those who are 
yet to come into your kingdom, yet to discover that they are your hidden treasure and that you are seeking them out. And we ask that you draw those people to us, Father God, so that we can proclaim this story. I pray that we proclaim it every day as we live our lives and that we would proclaim it to those who would come and we look forward to that great salvation. And I pray for every person in this room today. Maybe there are those who are struggling with their own value and worth. I pray that today there would be this revelation knowledge that we have been made in your likeness. You have stamped your image in us and that's where our worth, that's where our value comes from. And I I pray that this would be a life change day because we see that in a new way. Work it in our hearts, I pray. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.